Hello, this is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on Talk With Me, which, as I say, is at the intersection of art and mental health, because that's kind of where I live. I used to live on the mental health nonprofit side only, and then I got a kick in the butt and changed my life and got to do this stuff with artists, too. It's like, well, this is very cool. And, and the thing for me is that I have grown to appreciate how much in common that people I work with in my field of suicide prevention and bereavement and counseling and all that stuff, how much the kind people in that part of the world are very much like the kind people in the art world, that all of us tend to be about communication, about expressing real things and listening and hearing and compassion and connection. It's like, well, that's very cool. So personally, I think the intersection of art and mental health is a pretty cool place to be. Um, sometimes I'm more on the art side, sometimes I'm more on the mental health side, and it's all good. So I am in Lawrence, Kansas. I get to do this show. It's a great part of my week, my life. And listeners, I hope this becomes something that you look forward to, to hop on to the lawrencehits.com website or iTunes or Google Play and check out who's been on Talk With Me, hear what they're doing. And then maybe you cruise over to a website, maybe you end up buying a book. Maybe you find out that person's going to be in your area and you can hear them in person. Cool stuff going on all of the time. And speaking of time, this day is October 5th, 2017, which just amazes me. Daniel Smith, the producer, and I are getting really close to an anniversary of doing this show, which started on December 26th. 2013. How weird is that? I know. I did. Well, wait, it's October 5th. She just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, there's so much going on. Who knows? It'll be the end of the year soon. What? Anyway, I am excited. I have fun doing these shows. I'm looking forward to meeting a new artist today. And listeners, I hope you're looking forward to this too. And today you get to meet Kimberly Ann Priest. Hey, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying this this time of the year. I'm looking forward to it getting even more beautiful, that change that happens with lots of trees. And I will say this is upcoming to the weekend when I am part of a wonderful retreat out in this beautiful place called the Light Center. So lots of good stuff going on with me. And, and wow. tell us about you and where you are and just a little bit of background. Yeah, so um, speaking of trees, um, I am from Michigan, and um, it's uh, gorgeous up there, lots of trees. Um, I am Mm -hmm. missing it right now because we are heading into autumn, and I'm used to all of those colors. But uh, I'm currently in Oklahoma, and it's still Ah. green. (laughs) There are no leaves turning any colors right now that I have seen. Um, So, yeah, that's a little bit about where I come from. I've, I've been in Michigan my whole life. I actually lived up on Lake Superior, up in the Upper Peninsula, uh, as an adolescent, and um, it was beautiful. It was like the perfect place to grow up, Uh just quiet and idyllic and gorgeous and probably why I'm a poet, because it just, you know, was getting all of that 
there was art juices flowing in my veins, <laughs> just looking at all this beauty and all the, having all this quiet, reading all these books, because there's nothing else to do there in the middle of winter. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like hibernate <laughs> uh-huh. and watch football and uh-huh. read books. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. Grew up in a very literary world in my with my family. So oh, well, that's always interesting because that varies a lot. Yes. So yes. when you I'm say, now in Oklahoma and we don't have as there's not as much literature I'm finding here like people that have grown up just reading books. You know, cause you don't have the middle of winter to just you know oh. huddle around the heater or the fireplace. <laughs> Do you so, think the yeah. weather contributed to your family being big readers? <laughs> I do. I think so. I think I think I could say that of a lot of people in Michigan. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of events that happen in the winter, at least in the town that I just came from, um, where you know you you meet at the local art venues and uh, hear poets and drink hot chocolate and things like that. You know, so you have to find these warm spaces to gather in coffee shops and uh, and you read. A lot of people nice. read back uh, home, That's so. Nice. That's yeah, that's cool to me because it seems like I've always been surrounded by people who were more watchers in terms of film, etc., than than readers. And I I love reading. I love imagining the scenes mm-hmm. in my brain. Similarly, I love staring up at the sky and the clouds and you know the shapes of leaves on a field and all kinds of stuff. You know, I, mm-hmm. I I like I like to work my brain in that way. It just comes kind of naturally, though. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you're an artist. Then. <laughs> Sometimes it's weird, though. It's like, wait a minute. You know, it's like one of one of my things was we used to record this show um, in an office um, in downtown Lawrence, Kansas, and every time when I'd be walking up to the doorway of the the office, there there was this. I don't even know what it was, some kind of plumbing. It wasn't a water meter, but it was some kind of plumbing kind of pipes and stuff that that were that are that are on this side of this wall. And every time I when it, just when I first noticed it, it's like, oh, it looks like a little guy standing there. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you have an imagination. <laughs> So back to you, you read a lot. When did you start writing? Um, in the second grade. I mean, that's wow. when I, I had my, my, they had, would have little contests for us uh, at school. And um, I won an honorable mention for my little children's book. Um, oh. I always, I, I grew up in a really good, um, with really good quality English teachers just throughout my elementary and middle school and high school years. Um, so I did a lot of writing just since childhood. Um, I never considered, uh, I didn't consider poetry a lot. I, it was a lot of, you know, fiction and uh, the things that most kids read. And um, I look back, though, now at some of my um, journals that I wrote back then and I realized I was writing poetry. Uh It was something I was doing and I wasn't real aware of it. Uh, But I didn't start writing seriously until I think three, four years ago. Um, And and I'm going to be 40 in a week. So, you know, much later in life, Uh (laughs) I decided to write um, for various reasons. Um, 
but it's become a thing that I do now. That's cool. I'm gonna just say when you say you started much later in life, I've talked to a lot of wonderful writers who really didn't start their creative writing until after they retired from another career that might have included some writing, often did, but not mm -hmm. the creative, artistic kind of writing. So so starting in your 30s is is not a late start. <laughs> that's true. You were right. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, definitely, definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my um, favorites, one of my, just a very dear friend and wonderful poet here in Lawrence, Kansas. Her name is Elizabeth Schultz. And Beth is known internationally as a Melville scholar. She was a professor at the okay. University of Kansas here. And so she has this huge volume of academic writing. And, and, you know, when she talks about her poetry, she really didn't start that until she was phasing out of, of uh, teaching and, and that stuff. And it started mm -hmm. as trying to express a special message to a friend as like a, a I don't know ah. if it was a birth or another occasion. And she couldn't find a card that was really hitting this, the message that she wanted to. And so she started uh -huh. writing and then she's been writing and writing and wonderful, beautiful things. And, and it's like, okay, so Beth didn't really start writing poetry until she was, I'm going to say in her sixties. I don't know, you know, so, and, wow. and so, yeah. And, and it's a huge gift to the world that she finally did. <laughs> so there yes. you go. Write yes. whenever well, you get to do it. It's a good thing. It's never too late. To right. <laughs> Right. Yes, I'm in a good spot right now. Yeah. But then there's the other side, which is it takes a while to get better at anything that we do. And I say that because yeah. I've always laughed at a story. Um, in Lawrence, we have several um, several former poets laureate of Kansas who who live here now, and several, including Kevin Rabus, who's our wonderful current poet laureate and jazz man <laughs> um, who lives nearby <laughs> in Emporia, Kansas. Anyway. Denise told me a story one time about, you know, during her poet laureate time, people that a lot of the, the job is that they go uh, to different parts of their state and they, they do readings and they bring other poets in. And, you know, sometimes they do little workshops and stuff, depending on the size of the community and all that kind of stuff. And so, so I always remember her saying, you know, so this woman comes up to her after the reading and says, you know, I've been writing for six weeks now, and I'm almost as good as you are. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely takes time to be a good artist. It is a lot of drafting and redoing everything. And, yeah. And throwing yeah. a lot away. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's just a whole process. And then, you know, I get these finished products or, you know, what I decide will be finished. But uh -huh. I look at it later and I'm like, mm, man, is that finished? Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you just kind of have to you just kind of have to decide. I'm not yeah. going to touch this anymore. This yeah. is going to be done um, yeah. because and I've heard this from so many poets. Um, they, you know, they, they go back and they look at their work and they're like, oh my goodness, I could have revised this and this and this, but you have to just sort of make this decision. There's a line here. This yeah. one's done. I'm moving yeah. on. Because yeah. you can always change it. It's, yeah. it's just, art is so flexible that way. And of course, yeah. we're our worst critics. So yeah. we're always looking at it that way <laughs> yeah. and going, this could be better. Yeah. But, and to me, in addition to the fact that, that with art, that there, there is that 
okay, now's the time to say this one's done. And honestly, that's a life lesson too. You know, we can think yeah. ourselves out of being able to do anything. We can think ourselves into inaction. So, so sometimes yeah. we have to say done moving on. But one of the things with art, because there is this thing that's created this poem, this book, this, this piece of art, you know, in terms of whether it's a sculpture, or, you know, whatever kind of art it is, it, it gets created in a context. And then even though it may not get edited in any way after that, because the world changes and our individual experiences mm -hmm. changes, the communications of that piece may change in ways yeah. that could never have been anticipated. And that's one of the things that blows me away is, you know, I'll, I'll be talking to a writer and that person might share a piece and I might be thinking, oh my gosh, this so speaks to something that's going on in the world right now. And then ask, mm -hmm. you know, so so when did you write that piece? You know, and they say, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, it's like, oh my gosh. Right. And so it right. had a totally different meaning then than it does now. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. very cool to me. That's very cool. Yeah, I love that about art though. I just, I love that I can put my stuff out there and let somebody else, um, you know, meet it in the middle and, uh -huh. uh, and reap something from it that I never intended when I was writing it or wasn't consciously thinking about, but it just speaks to them wherever they're at. And um, I love that. I just love mm -hmm. that. I, I'm totally okay with my art becoming something drastically different mm -hmm. in somebody else's um, mm -hmm. experience or, you know, 10 years, 50 years down the road, should my poetry still be out there? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, lo I just love that. I, I love that about art, that it can just become part of the reader. It can be theirs. They can own it. Uh -huh. um, I don't know. That just feels good. That feels yeah. good. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that in terms of this kind of writing, serious writing, as you put it, you've been doing for the past three or four years. What, what turned the corner for you that got you doing this mm -hmm. writing? Okay. So that's, that's a, um, it was a big corner. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I uh, was actually in a domestic violence situation for 15 years. Yes, it's a, it was a big corner. And I remember I started my graduate studies um, at Central Michigan University the year that I was getting a divorce. And that was just, you know, a difficult, very, very difficult situation. And um, I started my graduate studies, graduate teaching, and I was going to do uh, British literature for my master's. I was just I don't know. That's just what, what I decided to do. And I remember starting this program and just feeling this urgency about my trauma. Like I need to do something with it. It needs to go somewhere. It needs to make sense somewhere. And, you know, I'm kind of looking around at this English department, like, what do I do? How do I, how do I marry these interests and, and make this all work together so that, um, because I live by the motto, work smarter, not harder. So mm -hmm. I like everything to work together. And uh, I remember um, going into uh, Robert Fanning's office to talk to him. He's a poet in Michigan. And uh, he was one of the poets in the program and sitting down with him and just kind of exploring, do I, do I want to do creative writing? Is this something I want to try? Uh, I loved it when I was young. Do I want to really take this seriously? And I sat down with him and I just talking to him, I was like, yeah, these are the people I need to be with right now. I need to uh -huh. be with the poet. Uh -huh. And um, so 
you know, I don't, I don't even have any of those poems, those early poems that I did um, a few years back. They were probably terrible. <laughs> but the poets uh, in that program really encouraged me. They said, you have talent. You need to keep going with this. And I needed that. I needed that yeah. encouragement at the time. I'd just gone through all of this trauma. And so it was just, um, it was a good cloud for me to land on at that moment in life. And uh, I, uh, the, the, poem I, the poems I have now that are going to be published or even the ones that are out there in, in literary journals are not the poems I wrote then. Um, I ended up going on to an MFA program. But uh, I have, uh, poetry became my medium for dealing with my trauma mm-hmm. and uh, organizing this chaos that was erupting in my emotions and in, in my mind, um, I needed a place for that to go. I needed to work it out. I needed it to be something. And that's how I became a poet. It really was out of necessity. It was out of survival um, that I became a poet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and I must say that that gets me back to thinking about Beth Schultz again, because that's in a, it, it, her analogy about writing is that it's like a hose that has a kink in it and then the water mm. pushes through with so much force and that's how poetry needs to come out of her and I'm sensing the same thing from you. It needed so to true. Yeah. Yeah, so true. I actually read, um, uh, I have a Gregor Orr's book, Poetry as Survival, and he talks about but kind of that same idea that we have so many things in life where we experience um, smaller and larger traumas and um, it can feel chaotic, you know, and that's for everybody. We, you may not have a domestic violence situation. It might not be that, you know, intense, but there are littler things also that we deal with. And uh, poetry is such a great way for um, creating something that on the page is ordered, it's structured, it's, um, it's useful. It can be passed on to other people. And it's like you're taking this inner chaos and you're making something ordered and um, beautiful and recognizable. And um, it becomes a structure for that chaos that, uh-huh. um, yeah, it, it just kind of uh, contains it in a wonderful way. And, uh, and that's how it's been for me. Definitely. Same, same sort of idea. Yeah. And, and that speaks to something that I heard when I sort of stumbled into the art side of the world in terms of guests for the podcast was that there is this thing about writing and writing or painting, whatever the art is, that is very personal and very helpful and, and makes, it's a way of making some sense out of things that have been very internal and maybe swirling around. And so there's this part where, the creation of the piece, the poem, the short story, the painting, the dance, the you know whatever it is, that that is of personal benefit to the artist. And then there's this next piece, which is so. What's it like when you start sharing? For you personally, when you started sharing your poetry, whether it was through publication, readings, you know, however you did that, what was that like for you? Um, it it kind of has a um, almost a bipolar effect. <laughs> um, on the one hand, very cathartic to be heard and to say, you know, this is what I've been through, and to have some people come to me and say, "Wow, thank you for sharing." Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've never been able to open up about this stuff. Thank you for opening up about it. I've had people come to me who've heard a poem and said, yeah, that's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Thank thank you for reaching into that emotion and um, kind of fleshing it out for us in a way that I could, I could connect with. On the other hand, it can also be very scary Mm -hmm. Um, because I realized after I put it out there, I'm like, man, I've, I've just given this really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like this really personal, this really, I've made myself very vulnerable Mm -hmm. is what I've done. And sometimes that can um, stir up the trauma again, because, you know, my original trauma has come from being vulnerable in a situation where someone had more power over me. Mm -hmm. So in a way I'm also, um, I I feel a little bit like I've given up a little bit of my power in that moment. And so I Mm -hmm. have to deal with that again and say, okay, I just let somebody in. I just let this crowd of people in to this circumstance and, um, sometimes really what it does is it makes me go back and write more poetry. I have to work it out again. Um, I have so many books that I'm working on um, just because every time I share and every time I bring that out, I've got to go back and rework it a little more. And I find that each poem and each story and each um, time I work it out, it does look a little different. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a journey, there's, there's progress being made Mm -hmm. in my own healing. And, um, so yeah, it has that it has that sort of bipolar effect where it's like both really painful and also just really cathartic and really um, healing. Uh-huh. So I, I guess that is the nature of healing, though. It it is painful, um, the process, and then you yeah. kind of hit that spot where you're like, oh look, something is the the skin has grown over that and it's, it's, yeah. it's healing there, yeah. and uh and that feels really good. So yeah. yeah. That's what yeah, and, it does. <laughs> and there's that there's that balance, and I, I I never I'm not so good at remembering names always, but it, it just coincidentally referring back to my friend Des, who I mentioned about the when we, before we were before we were on air talking about um, how podcasts start, um, and um, Desiree went to a writing workshop at some fancy Eastern college. Um, I can't remember mm-hmm. where it was. But what I remember is one of the things that one of the writers really emphasized was write from your scars, not your wounds, you know, Mm. and that's not, that's not what everybody thinks, but, but I think there, there is that balance of if I am going to share this with the world and, you know, whatever in the world, I'm not being grandiose. I just mean putting it out for Mm -hmm. whoever happens to find it in that online journal or who's at that reading or whatever, you know, then, then I will be affected by things that happen in that process, feedback I might get, you know, what it might stir up in me. And so that question of when is it too risky? I'm not ready to deal with other people's uh, interpretations of what I'm saying. And one, when is it, lots of things in life are scary. And if we only do things that don't feel scary, we never do anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. So true. Yeah. 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 You know, new stuff is scary often. It is. Better think if yeah. some things that aren't, but that, you know, I'm sure there are, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have but found it, that I, I, I feel as though I heal faster because of this, because of making this art. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been terrifying. It really has. Um, 
But when I look at my process and, and the things that I went through, I, I definitely feel like I'm farther ahead in the healing game than I would have been had I not engaged this poetry. So yeah, yeah. Clearly, writing is one of your tools, one of your activities for many things, including healing. And, and I think that it that speaks to me. It resonates with the conversation that I recently had with people about time. You know. And my belief, and I think a lot of people's belief, is time alone doesn't create any healing. It's it's working yeah. on the healing in various ways over time that yeah. allows healing. But yeah. time is only time distance. It's nothing healing in and of itself. So there you go. So so for you, yeah. writing is an important thing. And and I mean that that resonates again with for me with so many people who literally spontaneously said, you know, this saved my life, you know, writing, yeah. dancing, music, art of whatever kind, you know, and it's like, yeah, that that makes sense to me. That's that's an important mm-hmm. thing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So we're talking yeah. a lot about your art and and it would be great to have you tell us about um your recent book and and to share a bit from that if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So the book is titled White Goat, Black Sheep, and um, it, it does draw a lot from biblical metaphors, even though as a book it's not biblical. <laughs> it just draws from those metaphors. Um, so, you know, the idea of, of, of goats and sheep, and um, there's a lot of Edenic Im- imagery in the book. Um, but this is actually dealing with a trauma that was um, from childhood, so not the domestic violence. Um, which is probably goes back to what you're saying about writing from your scars, not your wounds, because I really feel like this book was something I was ready for, ready to put out there. And um, it, it, was, it was an older trauma, and it wasn't something that I was feeling um, as vulnerable sharing. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually wrote this entire book, the first draft of it, in just about a week. Okay. and um, it was it was just like that hose effect it was just coming out yeah. and um, I wrote it after I got out of the domestic violence situation because I found that I hadn't really been able to give shape to this chaos I needed I needed to deal with this first uh-huh. um, because it was older um, something that happened when I was eight and uh, I didn't remember it until I was 30. I did not have the rem- memory until I was 30. And then when I got divorced, it just, I, I need to deal with this now. This this mm-hmm. needs to be contained. Um, so it is, uh, it's something that happened to my sister and I. We were molested when we were really young. Luke's situation with a babysitter. Um, and, you know, it, from your side of things, you know, having dealt with mental health, you understand all of the uh, ways that that affects uh, the brain and, um just the physi- our physiology and uh but when i wrote this it just came out in a lot of metaphor so um so if it's okay i'm going to go ahead and read some portions of that um wonderful it's a long poem the book is essentially one long poem divided into sections that are uh, roman numerals so they're all shorter sections and they all give kind of a break from this constant um working out of this trauma. And I'm going to start um, on the fourth section. 
but then I'm going to move around to a few different sections and just take longer pauses in between them. Uh, so I'm going to read six, six small sections, and um, then we'll take it from there. Yes, sounds great. All right. I think I am the part of a man he wants to forget. I think I am a bone. Little sister, I think we are two disjointed lines stretched across a page, you and I. Little sister, I think we are in rows and there is breath between us. I think it is a long breath with water above, water beneath. I think of an expanse, how it stretches across a horizon, how your eyes are like its fire, deep, 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 and calling to me. Black goats, white sheep. Black goats, white sheep. This is the ceremony of the parting of the goats. You wear goth, little sister, braiding your hair, dividing your scalp, huddled near the bathrooms at a school laden with graffiti. Jess plus Johnny, Allie plus Blaine. I wear my hair in long, long streams. I sit by the river, gather moss, varnish weeds. I will contain us, build an altar, bind it with my feet. Little sister, make a bed out of some hay. Lie down, lie down, little sheep. The hours stretch against his body, the part of a man I want to forget, strong crow, over-limbed, dark leaf, dark leaf. You grow yourself into trees, oh, to be like the river, oh, to move like a sleep, oh, to be fluid and holding my breath, your long, bony fingers, too feathered to live in my deep. I pluck a string. You did not hear it. I strum a tune. You turn away. White goat, black sheep. Neither you or I, little sister, know this masquerade, but we will learn one river bend at a time, one bruise, one break. You move toward the men with pruning shears and cables. I search for a string to bind you, fill your mouth with choices a variety of seeds. Death like a blanket. How warm you are on your altar of sleep, little sister, black sheep. Soft like a crow under shadow, dark and seasoned by rain. One of your whispers is slipping my grass. I flute you a river of choices. I sing you a mercy mossing with grief. Don't cry for white dots on a canvas. Don't poke at the carvings beneath. Don't reel at the sight of a fresh mound of dirt entangling the roots where the aphids now feed. It's not you, buried there, little sister. No, it's not you, little sheep. Sadist in the shadow, lifting your umber belly of balk in the hallway near the bathroom where the unfretted go to pray. I am old enough to know. How many fingers will you count into my sister as she dreams? How many dark shadows will you summon from her thighs? How many times will my mother dry the pee from her ankles, impatient with pleas for a good night's sleep? How many puddles of my sister will seep under my feet? How will I ask her forgiveness someday when we are older? For the mornings I hated this altar and the sheepish form her body now takes. And that's all. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
And and as uh, you well, as you mentioned that this is your experience and your sister's experience, it, to me it makes yeah. it even more powerful in, in many ways that as yeah. the older sister there are different impacts. Yeah. Responsibility that, that wish that we could protect our younger siblings, those kinds of things. Yeah. There's yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, she was four and I was eight, and uh, I clearly remember the, the man taking her into the room and that sinking feeling of, I know what's going to happen because um, it had already happened to me. And when I, when I had to live, I sort of lived the trauma again after I got out of my violent situation. And uh, I remember just all of those feelings returning. Um, and really, this was kind of, you know, it was written for my sister. I'm, I'm speaking to her so much and, and wanting so much to fix, you know, as an eight-year-old, experiencing my eight-year-old self again, wanting to fix uh, this situation and fix all of the stress that she endured um, from it as a younger sibling. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that weight of that responsibility and that, that pain that came with that and mm-hmm. realizing, you know, as an eight-year-old, you just, I couldn't save her, but feeling like I should have been able to, yeah. should have been able to, you know, intercede there and stop this man from harming her. And those were all the feelings that returned as I wrote this. Um, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was heavy. <laughs> it was yeah. really heavy. Yeah. We have. And it's, it's an experience that, I had it's an experience that lots of people of yeah. all genders had, and not one yeah. that gets talked about in terms of how do you deal with the levels of because we we want to balance having some control, some power with this yeah. that make us responsible for what happened to us, and in your case, to to your little sister as well, and your. Yeah initially affected as whatever age person you were when it happened. So it's, there's so many layers of, of, of impact and so much gift to the world for people like you coming forward and saying this, I need to express this and, and other yeah. people needing to know, you know, and you mentioned like at your readings that, that people will come up and thank you speaking mm-hmm. things that are in them as well but they haven't yet said out loud maybe it's yeah it's very important yes you know for me just um that uh that emotional connection is enough you know with this poetry it's um that's really all I wanted to do is be able to just give those people a moment to go yeah I felt that way too and um and just have it um, maybe unburden them a little bit, you know, to to, to connect with this. Um, yeah, I mean that that's my goal. I, what else it does? I don't care. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it can do whatever it needs to do in the world. But and but you know, as, as I write these things, that's just kind of it's it's really cathartic for me. It's really wonderful uh-huh. um, in that way. But but also. Uh, I do really consciously think about my audience and what I'm giving them, you know, because I don't, I don't want my art to just be catharsis and just, you Mm -hmm. know, my, my vomit on the page, you know, for my sake. But um, how does this communicate to my audience? What gift can I give them um, that maybe they can, uh, they can enjoy themselves and and help them process their own 
emotions and all this sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. And it's it's difficult because our experiences happen in in you know they they really happen to us and they may not be what anybody wished had happened to us, but then there are these ripples of and and I don't I don't want to probe too much about this, but you know so so this is you and your sister and. It's other family members who may have had to later learn that something happened that they would have never wished and to deal with their mm-hmm. own senses of was there something they could have done that would have kept you too mm-hmm. safe? And and so it's it's really it's really hard. And just coincidentally, last night um, I went to see a film that I had actually seen a premiere of it in April. It's a film called The S Word, and it's it's about living, and it's about suicide, and it's about people who've attempted and have got to other parts of their lives, and it's about people who have died of suicide and people who are loved ones. And but wow. there's a there's a, a a friend, a man who's a he's a poet and a writer and a musician and all kinds of things in his life at this point. Craig Miller. And, and Craig's in this film, it's a documentary, and Craig's in this film, and, and there's a scene where he and his dad are talking. Craig is a man who was very brutally sexually abused for a long period of his childhood, and his book, mm-hmm. This Is How It Feels. So his dad is saying, says, well, yes, I, I read Craig's book, and it was the best book and the worst book I've ever mm-hmm. read. And I couldn't even imagine yeah. how his dad felt reading this book about all these, that includes the truth of these horrible things that happened to his young son, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm saying this because there is, there is that part that, that as children, our experiences in theory, you know, are, are somewhat, we're somewhat protected, but we aren't and things happen. And, the adults yeah. have to make their own meaning of what their roles were in protecting us and he helping us heal whatever. And that's, that's complicated. That's really complicated. It is. And I think it's hard for us to accept um, as rather limited human beings <laughs> that we can't um, intervene in everything. You know, like we, we, we have, right a lot of, we feel a lot of powerlessness. I think in just, you know, if you're talking um, global situations, national situations, um, uh, in our local communities, in our own families, with ourselves, we're, there's so many things that we can't control. And um, it's really hard to uh, confess it for one, like, I, I couldn't fix this. You know, you experienced this horrible thing, and I couldn't, do anything about it and then on the other hand we have you know so many times when we could do something we don't right so it's it's these um it is these things that i think about a lot i i just got done reading um the diary of brent or what's it called i need to find the title here it's it's the diary of brent brent it's written by amy hurdy um diary of a predator and he was a, a serial rapist in denver and, and these are the things that interest me i'm always reading about the mind and you know what what creates um, this this sort of evil in our in our worlds? What happens? Why do people choose these things? And, um, and, and you know, this gentle, this man that did these horrible things was horribly sexually assaulted when he was a child. 
and it just for me, I don't know why I like to read these things. Um, if, if, if you knew me, you know, nobody would think I'd be interested in these really morbid subjects, but um, I, I just, I want to somehow always strike that balance in my life where on the one hand, I understand these things are horrifying and they're wrong. But on the other, I have compassion for everybody because we've all experienced horrible pain in our lives. So it's like this balance of, I just want to walk out of this, not condemning anyone, knowing some things are not right. Some things are just horrible. Um, but also there's just like this, um, I don't know, there's just this desire for me to walk away from it and go, we all deal with this stuff. We're all in the same boat. We, we've all got to work out these horrible traumas and these things that happen in our life and um, have compassion on one another because of that. That's just me. <laughs> well, I, and I appreciate what you're saying. I think that, that there's, there is a lot of need to understand, yet you know from your experience and I know from my experience that having experienced trauma at the hands of somebody else does not give us the right to inflict that on somebody. Absolutely not. Yeah. It is, it is such a difficult balance to strike and go, okay, this is a no, we can't do this. This is a boundary that, you know, society sets and that I set, this is not right. And then, um, and then also having compassion on that person. And, you know, I, it is, it is a difficult balance for me sometimes. I really like, you know, wander through these things and go, man, how, but I 100% agree with you. Um, no, our traumas do not excuse our, um, traumatizing other people. Not at all. Um, and I think that's one thing I liked about just reading Diary of Predators. Actually, this this man, you know, does not excuse himself. And that was wonderful to read because that doesn't happen very often. Usually, usually people excuse their um, the things that they do. And uh, but, but I don't know. These are just the things I think about. So they affect my writing, you know, whether or not I, I have um, worked all of these things out as far as uh, where all the lines go. Um, is not true. It's just, these are the things I think about when I'm writing. So, yeah. And there is huge amount of background noise in my place. I'm so yeah. sorry. Um, That's okay. That's okay. I, I am in a room with tall windows in our old house and there's, there's unfortunately not a way for me to change that. And I'm trying to think about if I can move slightly without messing everything up. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Kind of affects things though. Um, yeah. I'm gonna try to move a bit. And we'll hope this all works better. We'll see. I'm not sure where to move to is my question. <laughs> Oh, Sounds dear. a little bit like you have an airplane in the background. Well, I know. It's, it's uh, <laughs> unfortunate. Uh, mowing outside there. So, you know, what we're talking about is very important and very hard. You know, listeners might go, wow, I mm -hmm. didn't really expect this. And it's like, well, that's good. We need to know that, that unfortunately, there are things that happen. And then the next step is what can we do to make a difference, you know? And one yeah. thing that you as an artist are doing is 
putting these words out in the world for people to know, number one, if they have experienced something like this, they're not yeah. alone. And, and that is, to me, part of how we create hope to move forward, you know, that, okay, yeah. so somebody picks up your book, here's you at a reading, here's this podcast, whatever, and they go, wait a minute. So this this person has a real life, even though yeah. she had this thing happen to her and her sister when they yeah. were little. And maybe I didn't always know if I was going to get to the point where I felt like I could have a real life, but but Kimberly Ann Priest does, and so maybe right. she knows what this is. And and that's a huge gift for people. It is. Yeah, I agree. Um I, and, and like as an artist, I feel like that's my primary role. It's just mm-hmm. to uh, you know give people this opportunity to um, recognize just what you're saying. Like this, this does happen to a lot of people. This this thing that happened to my sister and I, it's not uncommon. So you have a lot of people out there who um, are you know grappling with some of the same wounds and the same pain and. Um, and the same fears from it and all those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, just to be able to say kind of out loud, Hey, yeah, you aren't alone. This does, mm-hmm. this does happen. It's not right, mm-hmm. but it, it, it happens. And, um, you're not alone in it. You're not isolated. Um, which a lot of us can feel when we've had a trauma It's like, I'm the mm-hmm. only one that's going through this. And I, I, with my own domestic violence story, like I love, I love it when somebody else, I meet somebody else. They're like, yeah, I went through something similar. I'm like, I'm not like, oh, good. I don't want other people to go through it. Right. But it, it does it does feel nice to make that connection and go, I'm, I'm glad that you told me that because right. sometimes I feel like I'm the only one right. that had this horrible experience. Yeah. And then I, I do look at their lives and I'm like, they made it. They yeah. survived it. I can survive it too. And I think it does give people that hope. Like she did this. She yeah. experienced this. She had this pain. She's still alive. She's still surviving. She's... Yeah. um you know, doing things with her life. I'm creating art out of this. It does give people hope. And that's a wonderful thing to give people. We need hope. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and maybe somebody reads in this case, or here's your, your, your work that's written work. And they realize that maybe journaling, you know, maybe they don't see themselves as the person who's going to write a story or a poem, but maybe journaling, maybe writing some of it out is helpful. Maybe finding yeah. some someone to talk about it with, you know, being able to to know that I think I my experience with people in, in my work, in my life is that when we think we're the only one who had this terrible thing that happened to us that's so terrible it can't be spoken about, there's a huge amount of shame and additional layers of pain that that are being added there. And so by by knowing that it's not just me and maybe it isn't my fault, it's it's, that happens through hearing other people's stories. And so clearly, I mean, this book is one that that is, is important to have out in the world you know, white goat, black sheep. And, and this, this book and this experience is you started um, the way I understood it was that you realized that you needed to, to work on this experience from childhood um, before you really could do some of the healing that you needed to from experiences and in your adult life. 
And, yeah. and I know from, from the, the background information you, you sent to me that being able to communicate uh, about these, these other kinds of experiences as well is all very important to you and to your audience. And do you want to say a little bit more about some of the things you're working on now, some of the other kinds of um, issues? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I did complete a full manuscript called uh, Wild Things, at least tentatively called that, uh, it, during my MFA program. And, you know, that's out to publishers right now. I haven't heard back on that. Um, but it deals with kind of all of it. It deals with the sexual assault as well as the domestic violence. And um, that was harder for me to write. It took a long time. I had to... Um, be more intentional with that one and what do I want to say um some of it's dealing with uh the fact that this was tied to uh, some religious experiences and um so it was tough it was tough to work through that one um I think like personally I'm still at a point where I'm more comfortable talking about the childhood sexual assault and that does seem to be like the bigger issue for me because mm -hmm. as children we are so vulnerable mm -hmm. whereas in my adult life there were things I could do to fight back to say no um, even though it took a long time to get out of it it was it was definitely not <laughs> passive <laughs> the whole time you know so I um that that still is a world that I'm kind of working through but right now what I find that I write about more um, is being a mom. I have two uh, teenagers and we've all gone through this together. And um, I find that that's the thing that preoccupies my mind the most because there is this sense kind of the same as the childhood uh, situation. There is this feeling of I couldn't keep my children from experiencing this. Like we had to go through this and um and that is another point of vulnerability for me here. I am a mom. I should have been able to, you know, protect, you feel like you should be able to protect your kids from everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and of course we can't, but those are the feelings that I find that I'm writing about more these days, um, working on another poetry book, working on a, a memoir and, um, and working through those emotions, like what it's like to have to go through some really difficult things having children, having people who depend on you. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot like what I wrote about, you know, with, with my sister. I think that um, for me, it's that sense of responsibility towards others that I lament the most. Like when I couldn't help those weaker than me uh -huh. um, survive difficult situations. Uh -huh. So, yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's all kind of the same package, but it's the stuff I keep writing about and my journey has just taken me to now dealing with the trauma of being a mom in, in difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the trauma of being a mom in general. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I think that is definitely in there too. You know, everybody has, um, I, I, when I was talking with one of my MFA, um, one of the poets, in my MFA program, like we, we, we shared this in common, like all of these feelings about how the world sort of presents motherhood. Like it's this really, um, a beautiful domestic thing and we're talking about how you know ugly childbirth is and how being a mom is just like this traumatic experience and it's not it's not this pretty domestic thing all the time it has its moments but like being a mom you have to be 
strong. You have to be, um, you know, you're setting boundaries with your kids. You're not just like sitting around watching lovely movies all the time. And, and, and <laughs> there are, um, there's a lot of grit that goes into motherhood. So uh, we were talking a lot about that because that's, that's a lot of what has ended up in, in my book, but also um, a lot with my son, like where he um, has, you know, grappled with all of those issues that are, that we all deal with, with uh, masculinity and femininity and all that kind of stuff. And, and just kind of that growth process, not a lot of, for me, I'm not. I, I seldom am commenting on things as much as I am just observing them and seeing his growth in this traumatic experience. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind of where it's at right now. Um, I love being a mom. It's also like intense. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and are you teaching writing? Um, yes, I'm teaching, but it's composition. Okay. So it's not creative writing. I teach comp, um, and it's a new position. So this is my first uh, semester teaching comp to developmental students um, in in a program that they have here. That's relatively new as well. So we're, you know, I'm kind of um, I'm the coordinator of the program. So I'm really reworking a lot of things. We're just thinking about what needs to be reworked for next year, and. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I do right now. It's, it's a program um, for developmental education um, that I'm working on and teaching composition. So not creative writing uh, at this point. Um, yeah, writing still. <laughs> writing. And do you perform your own? Do you do readings very often? Is that something that you've been able to fit in or is that pretty hard? Because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, there's there's a lot in your world. Yes, there is a lot in my world. Um, I did a lot in Michigan locally. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I actually initiated um, a couple of readings at, like, we did one at the farmer's market and at coffee shops. And this was with a lot of my peers, other students. Um, so we did a lot. I did a lot there. Um, being new to this area, you know, I don't, I'm still getting to know the literary scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already spoken to some artists uh, in um, Oklahoma City. So I plan to do readings when the book comes out in Oklahoma City. And I'm also working with another poet on maybe doing some things in Texas. Um, and, and who knows what else. So, you know, it's, it's stuff, yes, but I, I do definitely plan to read when the book comes out. It, it comes out in December. Um, probably won't start readings until the first of the year mm-hmm. um but there are there are things in the works for mm-hmm. readings and and definitely i will have to fit them in between things um but i love reading like that's one of my favorite things to do as a poet um cool. i almost love it more than writing so uh, the performance <laughs> part is just so fun for me so i i'm not afraid of a microphone uh-huh. <laughs> um i i audiences don't scare me other than the fact that sometimes I feel really vulnerable with what I'm bringing out there. I, I really enjoy that uh, part of this. So I can't wait to get out there and read this book and some of my other stuff. I'm really it's looking wonderful. forward to that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Had you done some other kinds of performing before you were reading your own work? Um, yeah, since I was uh, really little, I grew up in church. So I did all the, um, 
the, the 90s church stuff and, and, you know, singing in front of church and um, all that kind of stuff that you do in church. I did that. Um, so I'm used to being in front of people and having a microphone in my hand. The reason I'm not scared of it. Um, that's mostly the performance. I did drama um, in high school and in uh, in church. So I've always um, had a level of comfort being in front of people and um, not as much in my adult life. I did, you know, more when I was younger, but, uh, but yeah, since I've been uh, writing poetry and, and getting it out there, that's, it's, it's kind of revived that excitement that I have, uh-huh. you know, getting in front of people and uh, it's been a good experience. I've, I've always enjoyed it. It's never been, uh-huh. never been a bad experience. That's, that's an asset. You know, I will say, unfortunately, some poets are amazing writers, but, aren't good at reading their own work, you know, and it's not mm, that they couldn't yeah. learn to do that. You know, I think, I think sometimes people don't realize that, that like with writing, that reading also is something to, to hone <laughs> yeah. in terms of reading your own work in front of an audience. Yes. I really looked out. I had Robert Fanning and Jeffrey Dean as my, um, my, the poets in the master's program at central Michigan. And they are, phenomenal readers uh, like just they oh my gosh just to listen to them read like and, and I think that's part of the reason that reading is so enjoyable for me because I kind of I learned poetry along with the reading part so they were never separate from each other and uh so yeah I learned how to read from them and I love listening to uh, poets that really read well um it's just it adds a dimension to the poetry and yes. a level of emotion that you don't get you know, from the poet when it's on the page. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy that. And, uh, and I really love it. If, if, if I could just get paid to read poetry, it doesn't even have to be mine. I'll read, <laughs> I'll read anybody's poetry. I, sh- I should put that out on my website. I'd be like, if, if you're a poet that doesn't like to read your poetry, I got you. Yeah, there you <laughs> I'll, go. I'll, I'll, be, I'll read your stuff for you. No problem. Um, I, I would make that into a career, just reading poetry anywhere. It'd be so awesome. much fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and as you say that, it's like your love of poetry is so obvious. And that's that's a great thing for people to experience, especially people who are like, I don't know about this poetry stuff. You know, I mean, when I went yeah. to school, they told me it had to have this kind of structure and that. And, and then yeah. this poem had this meaning and it didn't make sense to me. It's like, no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. There's not yeah. The, that rigidity. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, everybody's experience is Shakespeare, right? Like when I when I talk to people, you know, they read poetry in high school. I didn't like it. It was Shakespeare. You know, it's old English, and I love Shakespeare. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not, you know, it, when you're reading the old English and when you do have it in the structure and, and you're just trying to emulate Shakespeare, well, none of us can really emulate Shakespeare. Um, it, and it's just not, it doesn't really connect to them, you know, with uh-huh. the modern language and, and modern experience. So I'm like, no, there's so much more. And then I'm, you know, bringing out my stack of poetry books. And I'm like, look what they have now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I get, I get giddy and really weird about it. <laughs> I love my poetry books. Yes. Cool. Cool. Well, we are at the end of this hour. It's amazing. 
it's unbelievable. And now it's probably going to stay quiet now that we're not going to record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So perfect. You have this book called White Goat, Black Sheep, and it actually isn't available yet um, right. in terms of when we're recording, but you said it's coming out. Well, it is. Oh, it is. It's available for pre-sale. It's available for pre-sale. So you can go on the finishinglinepress.com, their website, and you can find it in the pre-sale section. Um, I'm actually one of the last poets listed. There's several pages, so you have to, like, go to the very end. (laughs) Um, I know. I know. Um, But I'm putting it out there. I'm at the end. Go to that page first. All right. Um, Okay. And, yeah, you can find it there and and pre-order it. And, you know, it does um, help the, the first run of books how many okay. they print so yeah please pre-order until october 16th that's my deadline right. okay uh, so pre-order yeah. soon white goat black sheep by kimberly and priest and that's from finishing line press so that book can be pre-ordered and will be available relatively soon and it's clear that you're working on a bunch of other projects. And so yeah. we can watch for more information about you and your work. And you do have a website people can check in with for Kimberly Ann Priest. And so this has been great. And, and again, your, your passion for sharing experience that people really need to be able to talk openly about because it's not mm-hmm. just you. It's not just me. It's just, it's, it's a lot of people and, yeah. and getting things out in the open is so important. And so that is a huge gift. And, and then you also have this delight, this love of poetry that is contagious for people who are listening to this hour. <laughs> if they weren't convinced at the beginning, I'm sure they're convinced at the end, like this poetry stuff sounds cool. <laughs> so thank yes. you for that as well. So again, this You're has welcome. been with with Kimberly Ann Priest. Um, thank you so much. And thank you to Daniel Smith, our producer, for helping us have this show so that people can listen to it. And so long to our listeners.